Hello and welcome to The Flex. It's Matt St. Jean and Joe Howie here with you. The Friars are set to take on Marquette tonight at Pfizer Forum, 9 p.m. Eastern. So you got the late tip off. We're coming at you with a quick little preview episode. This is a, a Marquette team that has not won a game since December 8th. They've lost four in a row. And they're 0-3 to start Big East play. However, I don't know about you, Joe. I think that stat might be a little bit misleading. What's what's your take on this Marquette team? Um, I think that stat is misleading, Matt. Um, my take on this Marquette team is they're young but talented and well-coached. I, I don't think anyone is, is going to call it into some sort of credibility discussion about Shaka Smart. He's a good coach. He's a storied coach. He's a tenured coach. He is a good coach. Um, This is a Marquette team that's young. They lost some roster pieces. They maintained a couple of roster pieces. But at the end of the day, they're young. That's why they're 0 for in conference play. That's why they're on a four-game skid. But that's also why they're going to play desperate as hell tonight. Like, they're coming in with a chip on their shoulder. Yep. And this is a Providence team that, while, while the Friars have won eight in a row... At certain points during that winning streak, they have struggled late. Uh, you saw it in the second half against DePaul. You saw it late against Seton Hall. You saw it against UConn. Friars had big leads in these games, and things got closer in the second half. Marquette has been the opposite. They've trailed early in their last three games. They actually have not led at any point in the second half of the last three games. But at Xavier, they were down by one possession with under five minutes to go. Against UConn, they were down by a possession with less than five minutes to go. And in that game against Creighton, oh my goodness, that was just a thriller. He sent it to overtime, and Marquette should have had that game in overtime. I don't know what Shaga Smart was thinking not fouling up three, but Alex O'Connell hits the shot, and you lose in double overtime. You pull the comeback, and then you let your opponent get get it right back to you. So, yeah, I mean, that's where you see the youth. They're energetic. They're, they'll battle back into anything, and that's going to be something the Friars have to watch out for. But they just they really have not been able to get over the hump this season. Yeah, Matt, the stat you just shared about being within one possession with less than five to play is probably the stat that is going to ring in my head for the next 11 hours. It's noon right now, so the next 11 hours until the game is over. Because like you said, Matt, this is a Providence team that, while very successful on the season, has struggled in the second half with maintaining a comfortable lead. And, Mm -hmm. of course, I say this, and it sounds contradictory because we're coming off of a 17-point victory at DePaul. But there were points in this early on in the second half where that 17-point victory looked like it could be in the 30s. And... I understand that with any team in any sport, it's very tough to play with a big lead like that. And I think that's a universal sports trend, but it's also a trend that Providence has shown against non-conference opponents. Take it into consideration Vermont, Central Connecticut State. So I, I, I think if you're the Friars, you need to use your maturity tonight and you need to play tough. You know, mm-hmm. mental toughness is going to win you this game, especially down the stretch in what's going to be a, a, a rocking Pfizer forum because that place is really tough to play in. It really is. Although surprisingly, it hasn't been this year. Marquette in this four game losing streak, three have been at home, but I mean, that doesn't stop the fact that this is a very, uh, a very difficult 
team to play against on the road. This is a team the Friars have struggled to play against on the road until recently. The last time the Friars won at Marquette, so A.J. Reeves hitting the three to send the game to overtime from the same spot O'Connell hit it for Creighton to send it to double overtime this past weekend. And his status will be something to monitor. Reeves only played eight minutes against DePaul. Injured his finger. He's day-to-day. They, Friars always list everybody as day-to-day. Will he play? Yeah. I have no idea. This is uh, Reeves has turned his, his game on lately. He scored in double figures six of the previous seven games before that DePaul one. So I think he could be, if he's healthy, he's a huge impact for the Friars. I agree, Matt. Um, I think Kevin McNamara had it either this morning or last night that Reeves has been practicing, which I think is a really good sign. And besides just the, the practicing and the reports, I think his body language and his activity after the finger injury w- was so important in that game. Uh, he injured his finger probably in one of the first three possessions because he was gripping it on, on, in the, on the wing early on in the, in the first half. It was right off and, the bat. Right. And, and even with... The, the finger injury, he still had that coast-to-coast nice bucket and a three-pointer that looked pretty good. So, yeah. obviously, you you don't want him to stretch it. You would rather consider the long-term outcome of keeping him healthy versus the short-term implications of him missing a game at Marquette. But at the end of the day, like he, it, it goes without saying, he's an important piece to the puzzle, and, and you can only go without him for so long. Exactly. And he, he could be super helpful, especially against a Marquette team that has not defended the three particularly well. And when I was was watching the last couple games, the thing you notice on defense is that I think Marquette is very vulnerable to a lot of the stuff that has worked for the Friars. They would crash down very hard on dribble drives from the guards, leaving guys open on the outside for shots. And that's something we saw Jared Bynum exploit quite a bit against DePaul. Yeah, I mean, twice Jared Bynum had some nice uh, dribble drive penetration, got himself to a good position under the bucket, saw three or four men come in and swallow him, kick out to Manaya in one corner for a three, kick out to Horkler in another corner for another three. So we've seen Bynum do that. And I think his playmaking abilities have been shining the past couple of performances. And, you know, what I I think is so funny is some reporters like John Rothstein will talk about the impact of Jared Bynum and, you know, the coincidence that he's come back and we've had some recent success against tough opponents like UConn, Seton Hall, at DePaul. Whereas guys like Jeff Goodman will <laughs> completely ignore that Bynum was out for four games and run around on Twitter and say, oh, Providence is the luckiest team in college basketball. And listen, take with it what you want. Jeff Goodman is a Twitter troll. Everything he puts out yeah. there is clickbait. So I don't – by the way, if you're going to go out there and say Providence is lucky – don't come to the dunk and be all smiley and schmoozy with Ed Cooley after we upset Seton Hall. It's one or the other. You're with us or you're against us. I understand you want the, the, the Twitter impressions. You want people to click on your video, but you're with us or you're against us. Don't be a two-faced snake. Just be a good person. Come on. But at the end of the day, um, I, I, he's right about something. I would not have wanted to play against Johnny Davis uh, at Wisconsin. Um, oh, God. After what he did to Purdue? Jesus. <laughs> he's <yeah>. good. <laughs> I, I don't think that discredits the Wisconsin win because they have good players and it was a road game. It, like, yeah. you know, they talk about Providence um, played a, a, an undermanned Wisconsin. They played an undermanned Seton Hall. 
How come our win against Seton Hall is, oh, Seton Hall's undermanned? Villanova's win at Seton Hall is, oh, that's a good win for Villanova. It's the same Seton Hall team that's undermanned. Why is it a lucky win for us but a good win for Nova? You know what I mean? And, by the way, we played a fully healthy Texas Tech team. Yep. They, I mean, this is a Terrence Shannon. He's been doing a lot for them. This is a Texas Tech team that is very good. And, yeah, got him at full strength, beat him at home. That's with Shannon hitting some shots. And don't forget, the Friars also got a very good Northwestern team and beat them on a neutral site. They came close to upsetting Michigan State this weekend. So the Friars... I mean, you, you beat Wisconsin on the road, who beat Purdue, and you beat Northwestern, who almost beats Michigan State. The Big Ten's a very good conference. Being able to pull off those wins is awesome. So, yeah, the Friars have gotten a little bit lucky with their opponents at some point, but the Friars have also been down Jared Bynum. And this is basketball. Depth is important. It, and I'm sure it's going to be tested for the Friars at some point. It could get tested against Marquette if A.J. Reeves can't go. Heck, he he wouldn't he didn't play most of that DePaul game. It's not basketball's not about having the five best players. You gotta have seven, eight, maybe nine guys that you can trust on the floor. Otherwise, you're going to get exposed. Heck, yeah. look at Houston right now. Houston, very very good team. They just lost two of their best players for the season. They're done. The next man up. Now we're gonna see what I think it's Kelvin Sampson and that coaching staff and what that team is made of. Can they get it done without some of those key guys? That's what the sport is about. Got to be able to do it. So the Friars have shown throughout the season that they've been able to do it. And yeah, they've gotten a little bit lucky. I think the worst case scenario is they have two more losses on their uh, schedule right now, both on the road, both to teams that would be in the top 25. So it's not like these are these would be bad losses for the Friars anyway. They deserve to be ranked at 16. There's no doubt about it. I think there's an argument they should be even higher. I would have the Friars above Alabama without a second of hesitation. I would too. And you know what I think is funny too is the response from Kentucky fans. They, they almost seem like disgusted and insulted that they're tied with Providence at 16. Um, I'm sorry. How many quadrant one wins does Kentucky have this year? Oh, they're one and one. Right. Sorry. Providence is currently 5-0 and oh as of this morning. 1-4-2022. So you, you can hem and haw all you want on social media about Providence this, Providence that. At the end of the day, we're doing what we are supposed to do. When you play teams that are down their best players, you're supposed to beat them. So call it luck. I call it taking care of business. Yeah, and that's what it is. You can't play, you can't hold it against the Friars for the, the problems of their opponents. They're beating the teams on the schedule. Eight in a row, thirteen and one on the season, three and zero in conference play, and a very good conference that speaks for itself. And clearly, most of the AP voters do agree with that because the Friars are ranked currently as the best team in the Big East. So, it's definitely the minority that's out there hating on the Friars. Most most of these voters got it right. Flip side, I, I don't know if you saw this. I'll speak of the AP voters, but um, oh, I Georgia. Yep. Georgia, who is supposed to be, they are the worst power six team this year. They are awful. They got five, what, five people put them in the top five or something like that. I think they got 22 votes this week because AP voters mixed them up with Gonzaga. Yep. So we say all you want about the ranking, obviously, for Friar fans. It's nice to have some national respect and some credibility behind our name. But but also take into consideration that AP voters are sometimes absolutely clueless. 
and that's why. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I mean, there's at least a quarter of them that just look at box scores. So. Yep. And And that's. Yeah, that's how it goes. Ed Cooley actually said in the postgame press conference after DePaul and Ed Cooley has a funny way of being extremely candid and blunt with the media. He goes, you guys just look at the box score. I look at my 6'10 pushing 270 big man diving on the ground up 21 points to get a loose ball. You know what I mean? Like a a lot of times uh, Justin Manaya's defensive presence doesn't come up on the box score. But for people who actually have eyes on the game, and, and I think this goes not only just for Providence, but for the Big East in general, for people that have eyes on the game, they know that that stuffing the stat sheet it, it isn't the only thing that exists. There's defensive presence. There's defense. Excuse me, a defensive presence that's brought by players. There's hustle plays. There's energy plays. There's sparks off the bench. You know, there's only so much that the scoring column provides for for with respect to national credibility. Exactly. And that's, I mean, you look at that Seton Hall box score, you're going to see Justin Manaya played most of that game and didn't score. Your scoreboard watch, and you're going to look at that and say, wow, he must not be very good. What you're not going to see is why Ed Cooley calls him the best defensive player he's ever coached and what he did against Jared Roden and all the other wings for Seton Hall in that game. So, yeah, that's why you got to watch some of these games. And that's why when you're evaluating how good a team is, you should not use just one metric. Use the AP poll. Use the eye test, what you see. Use Ken Palm. Use Torvik. Use the net rating. Put it all together. There's no one single number that's going to be able to encapsulate exactly what a basketball team is. So you got to put it all together. Watch as much basketball as you can. And heck, you're always going to be wrong, too, because this is an ever-changing sport. So I don't know. The, the AP has been up to – AP and Ken Palm have both been up to some weird stuff this year. I, I – I'm going to be honest, I, I know we're going way off tangent here from the Marquette game, but I have a feeling Ken Palm is taking into account last year's um, metrics, which it does at this point in the season. That should be filtered out pretty soon. And I think that might be messing it up more than usual because we saw more transfers than ever before in college basketball. And I don't think the metric really knows how to account for that because there's all kinds of weird stuff in here. Iowa State, team that played the number one team in the country, Baylor, down to the wire earlier this week. Iowa State's at like what are they, 41. They're behind Providence. You got things like that that just you look at it and it makes you go, hmm, that doesn't that doesn't seem quite right. I don't know why they're where they are. So I don't know, we'll see if that gets filtered out by the end of the season, too. Yeah, Matt, and I think that just plays back into your bigger point of there is no one measuring statistic or metric that you can use to evaluate a college basketball team is what it comes down to at the end of the day. I think the most commonly approved upon one is the AP rankings. You know, that's the number that's um, tattooed to your team uh, on the scorecard at the bottom of the screen when you play. I think that's the most popular one. It's the most common one. Um, And it's also the one that puts a target on your back. So Transitioning back to this Marquette game, for Marquette, and I always like to look at these games um, through the eyes of the opponent, Um, Marquette's on a four-game skid. They have a home game, but I mean, it's a late tip-off, 8 p.m. Central Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Regardless, they have a home game, Big East game, against the top-ranked team in the conference. You, You 
you bet your ass they're going to come out salivating at the opportunity. And Shaka Smart yeah. is not a new coach. He understands what is in front of him. He understands exactly. the opportunity. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this, this is a big contrast to styles, too, between these teams, which means if Marquette can dictate, they might really be able to get things going in their favor. They like to play very fast on offense. Very quickly, they pass the ball really well. Tyler Kolek uh, is a guy transferred uh, this past offseason. I think the Friars were in on him. He's from Cumberland, Rhode Island. So he's a, a Rhode Island native. He's averaging almost six assists per game for them. So he's he's really good at passing the ball. But then on defense, they'll slow you down and grind you out just the way the Friars like to. And they'll press you and they'll do all kinds of stuff there. So Marquette is definitely a worse team than the Friars. But they're going to have a shot in this one. They're going to if they put it all together. Like, I mean, you know how young teams are. They're not going to put it together every night. The nights when they do put it together, they can beat anybody. Just look at what Creighton did to Villanova a couple weeks ago. Beat them by 20 on their home floor. So, I mean, I'm not saying Marquette's going to be able to do that against the Friars, but they have some good players. They got Justin Lewis. They got Osa Ikadaro. They got, oh, my God, I'm going to butcher, butcher the pronunciation here. It's uh, Kirk Weth, the grad student wow. over there, and Daryl Morsell, two, uh, two guys that are grad students that are very good for them. They got players. So the Friars definitely need to bring their A game to win this one. Any final thoughts from you, Joe? Um, Yeah, I remember watching this Marquette-Illinois game when Marquette won and thinking, oh, my God, I am going to hate Tyler Kolick in conference play. Um, (laughs) And for obvious reasons, he resembles Andrew Rousey. He resembles um, Ryan Archidiakono. um, What's the other guy's name? J.P. McCure. Like these undersized pesky guards that uh, are like Brad Davison, like these undersized pesky guards that are just a pain in the ass when you play them. You love when they're on your team. I wonder how I'm, I'm going to be tonight watching him. I, I, it's probably going to be similar to when I watched Brad Davison when we played Wisconsin. Um, and also Justin Lewis averages 15 and eight boards a game. Like he's a tough matchup. But, you know, yeah. when you yeah. look at the defensive assignments, do you put Justin Manaya on Justin Lewis or do you put him on Daryl Morsell, who averages 13 a game? You know, um, yeah. yeah, it's going to be a chess match. Yeah. And the Friars, I mean, Marquette pushes the pace. So the Friars are going to have to get out and transition on defense. Like you got to get back because the last thing you want is Daryl Morsell matched up one-on-one with Jared Bynum in transition. He's going to win that matchup and score two on you every time. <laughs> yep. All right, before we let you go here, one last bit. Uh, Lunardi just dropped his newest bracketology, has the Friars in the five spot. Five seed playing in Buffalo against Iona in the 5-12 matchup in the first round. Four seed there is Alabama. I I would swap those. I would have Providence ahead of Alabama right now. This is an Alabama team that lost to Memphis by quite a bit. But plenty of time left in the season. That stuff will play its way out. Friars ranked 16th in the country, looking for their fourth conference win in a row tonight at Marquette, 9 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1 with the Pfizer Forum. We'll definitely have uh, a recap for you after this one. You'll hear our thoughts on what will hopefully be a ninth straight Friars victory. For Joe Howie, I am Matt St. Gene. Thank you for listening. Make sure you're following us and happy 2022. Go Friars.